I have known quite a few athletes probably in the last five, 10 years that have gone and got tests done when they've been feeling kind of crappy for no obvious reason. Yeah, as I progressed, it was, it became more and more apparent as to, you know, why I should be getting them. Um, and uh, I was sort of going and seeking the tests out just, you know, to sort of see where, where things were at. Hello and welcome to The Long Munch, the nutrition podcast for runners, cyclists and triathletes. I'm Alan McCubbin. And I'm Steph Gaskell. We're both accredited sports dietitians based in Melbourne and combined have over 30 years experience working with runners, cyclists and triathletes to help them stay healthy and optimise their performance from complete beginners through to professional and Olympic athletes. Each week we take a deep dive into the most common nutrition questions that runners, cyclists and triathletes ask, the sort of stuff that people are debating out on their run or ride in the coffee shop afterwards or going online to try and find answers for. So we'll take that question, break it down and invite a guest expert, researcher or practitioner, or then an athlete or coach to add their unique perspective as well. Today it's episode 48B, should I get regular bloods and what should I test for with our guest athlete, ultra runner Blake Hose. We discuss Blake's own experience with blood testing and what benefits he's got from that over the years what sort of tests he's done and what sort of actionable information he's got from those, his thoughts around regular blood testing and whether screening annually, for example, is useful and whether it's more ad hoc one-off tests when there's a specific problem. So how are you going, Steph? It's been a big weekend for both of us, but I'll let you start. What's been happening? Yeah, I had a bit more of a nice relaxing weekend this time. Um, Though we did have the floods to to deal with, we uh, had our one-year anniversary, Tanya and I. So, Congratulations. Yeah, she uh, spoilt me actually and we went off glamping in in Dalesford, which is pretty, pretty cool, and got spoilt with massages, had a five-course meal in a fancy Japanese restaurant, Went to Hepburn Springs, so it was awesome. But you have been up at crazy hour. I don't know how you bloody did it. You did mention <laughs> that you might get on the kicker to get the adrenaline going. So, um, yep. yeah, what what did you get up to? Yeah, well, I mean, first of all, if anyone can hear my voice, is a bit croaky this week, which was nothing to do with that. I had it before <laughs> that presentation. But, yeah, been a bit crook the end of last week and into the start of this week, unfortunately. But um, that's all right. But yes, I had the presentation for the Worldwide Nutrition Conference, the WE Nutrition Conference, over the weekend. Uh, And my presentation started at 12.45 Sunday morning, so in the middle of the night, (laughs) because the conference works on North American time zone, and it's designed to sort of be suitable and practical for both North and South America and then the UK and Europe, which Mm. obviously where the majority of people are just weight of numbers which is fair enough but there were two Australian presenters myself and Dave Bishop from Victoria University and so Dave went first and I went second so we could get to bed but the you know obviously the conference went on until probably five or six in the morning our time Um, but yeah it was sort of started at 9 a.m New York time so it was nice and sensible for them but yeah no really good presentation I really enjoyed presenting there had lots of really good interesting questions at the end of it so yeah it was good we had I think about 195 people from I think they normally get people from about 100 different countries involved. So 
Yeah, I even noticed a couple of Australians online who were staying up till crazy o'clock. Crazy I mean, I did because I was presenting, but I was surprised to see any Australians actually there to watch it. So, yeah, and I think uh, people can, if they want to access that conference. I mean, I was just one of multiple presentations. The focus was around supplementation, in my case around sodium, but there was a whole bunch of other things, caffeine and collagen and tart cherry juice and a few others as well. And so if people want to access that, wenutritionconference.com and they can go on there. I think you can purchase the recording as well. Mm, yeah, awesome. Um, maybe the Aussies were out nightclubbing and, you know, needed a break from, from drinking or dancing on the dance floor and wanted to tune into your lovely voice. Yeah, who knows? Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> All right, um, just a quick little announcement before we get into our guests. Uh, obviously, this is episode 48 of the podcast, which means episode 50 is just around the corner, Steph, and we've got a very special guest coming up for that. We'll announce that probably next week or the week after, I think, when we get up to episode 49. But uh, yeah, really looking forward to this one, and it'll be similar, I guess, to last year's special episode where we had uh, Professor Andy Jones from the Nike Breaking 2 Project, who spoke to us in episode 25 around the nutrition aspects of that. So we'll have another special guest where we don't have a specific question or topic uh, in the traditional sense, but I think it'll still be a really interesting episode that people will really enjoy. Excellent. And just a reminder, if you do have a particular question that you'd like answered on the podcast, you can contact us on social media at The Long Bunch, on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, hear feedback or uh, yeah, share if there's a burning question that you want to answer as well. So today's episode, Steph, we're looking, at, I guess, at a continuation of last week. Should I get regular bloods and what should I test for with our guest, Blake? Do you want to introduce Blake and who he is, what he does and the significance mm. to this topic? Yeah, yep. Blake is a very decent athlete he started off in motorsports we learned but then you know moved to triathlon cycling and then into ultra trail running and performed at quite a high level in all of them as soon as he got into ultra trail running he was performing at a, at a really high level winning pretty major races or coming in the top three at least in Australia um, and he managed to get sponsorship when he first started by Solomon, which a lot of athletes probably dream in ultra trail running. And then, you know, he's now sponsored by the North Face, which again is a, a massive company. So, yeah, within owning a, a year of moving into ultra trail running, he made his mark winning races like the Great Ocean um, 100K ultra marathon. He's won a couple of times. Buffalo Stampede, I know, is a, a very popular trail race in Australia. He he's won that the forty two k Mount Buller Sky Run. You know he's set a course record recently in Peaks and Trails twenty two k race, and you know he's represented Australia in Sky Running World Champs overseas, placing third in Trans Valcania Ultramarathon in Spain, fourth in Asian Sky Running Champs. So it, it, the list goes on. So a remarkable athlete and the reason, you know, I guess we wanted him on for this episode is I've had interaction with with Blake. He's a friend of mine but also in relation to helping him out with his nutrition and I know that he did have blood tests that raised a few red flags. 
so I thought, you know, he'd be a good example of what the usefulness of, of blood tests can tell an athlete. Yeah, awesome. All right, well, I think we'll get straight into this one, Steph, and everyone can enjoy our interview with Blake. Blake House, welcome to the Long Munch. Thank you for having me. I'm excited. Very welcome. Yeah. Um, now, Blake, you started your sporting career in triathlon, I believe, and then you moved into cycling. Um, you had about five years as a competitive cyclist. Then you went into ultra trail running. What influenced all these changes in sports? Do you just kind of get bored easily or? <laughs> um, I would definitely say I am someone who gets bored easily. <laughs> there's no there's no doubt about that. Motocross prior to triathlon was kind of my main, my main uh, mm. sport, I suppose. Um, and I had a friend yeah. that I'd spent a lot of time with it around, you know, that age and he was doing some triathlons and stuff and I'd always been really active. I always really enjoyed, you know, running, riding, whatever. And um, I just thought, oh, I might go along to some sessions with the group and give it a shot and, yeah, got into triathlon. And then um, I never really liked swimming, I think like a lot of triathletes. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so I actually, True. yeah, I, 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 gave, I gave that the boot after about a year. I found that well, cycling was definitely my best discipline out of three, and I had the most passion for it. And then, yeah, did that for did that for a few years, and you know, I didn't I did enjoy it, but it just kind of began to it just began to grind on me the whole the whole scene, I suppose. It can be fairly mm -hmm. intense, um, and it wasn't really, you know, kind of took a lot of the enjoyment out of it for me. So I still I still really enjoy to to ride my bike. Like I would get out on the mountain bike quite a bit now but I definitely don't miss the the racing aspect of it once I was kind of realized that you know that wasn't really the scene for me I still wanted to you know compete I still wanted to be in sport and had a friend that had run an ultra uh actually that at the ultra that I met you at Steph Bogong to Hotham in 2014 ah. that might have been he'd he had run that race yep. and said oh why don't you just give it a mm -hmm. shot and I've always you know had a a really big passion for the outdoors and wildlife and just nature as a whole. So I thought, oh, what better way to combine endurance sport and and then my other interests than <laughs> running over a mountain range. So um yeah, I just got into it and haven't haven't looked back. Mm, yeah. So you were winning and, and setting records in like major races within a year of starting trail running and I know you always are pretty cool, calm and collected about how good you are. You actually are a very talented runner but you don't kind of promote that too much so I'll just put that out there. Did you find the time on the bike actually helped you make that kind of transition into competitive running? Yeah, massively. Yeah, there's definitely no doubt. Like just the, I think that like the enormous aerobic capacity that you build cycling, it's kind of, it's unparalleled really. Like there's not really any other sport where you can spend so much time training with, you know, su such little risk of injury. Like you could never do those hours mm -hmm. running or swimming or anything really without, you know, with, with, without injuring yourself or just becoming... I don't know, completely Bored. run into the ground. Yeah, so <laughs> yeah, no, it definitely having that engine built over those years certainly helped. And I think 
transitioning from cycling into mountain sort of trail and mountain running is probably quite a bit more specific compared to if you were to transition over into road running. I think just because mm-hmm. of that motion that you have on the bike pedaling, it's it's honestly, it's really similar to actually running uphill. So that's strength that you develop, especially, you know, like for, for, for climbing, I found that that transitioned over really quickly um, and, and, and really quite easily. And just that, like, just that energy metabolism over, you know, that aerobic metabolism over hours and hours and hours, like having that already there and then just needing to sort of condition your muscles a bit differently and get used to running downhill made just an enormous difference. Yeah. Mm, yep. And um, you've raced in some pretty spectacular events all over the world, including the Mont Blanc Marathon, North Face Endurance Challenge, Trans Valcania Ultra Marathon, and um, many more. What's the standout race for you so far and why? That's a tough question. <laughs> I've done a lot of races <laughs> that I've really enjoyed. Um, I've been very lucky to have a lot of support when, since you know the time I did start running and undoubtedly wouldn't have been able to do a lot of the races if it wasn't for you know people that have helped people and companies that have helped me out along the way. But uh, I'd say there's probably three, I'd say there's probably three races stick out to me if I think of events. Number one would have been Transvolcania, which was a race I did in 2015 on one of the Canary Islands called La Palma. That was, yeah, that was uh, just unreal. You basically just run from sea level up to the top, the highest point in the island uh, over about 50 kilometres and then just do this bombing descent back straight back to sea level again. <laughs> it was pretty unreal and along with that, <clears throat> the North Face Endurance Challenge in San Francisco was probably up there as well. That was just, I really enjoyed seeing, you know, I'm a bit of a, I'm a racer at heart. I'm pretty competitive. <laughs> and those sorts of races <laughs> are really um, like going over to Europe and going over to America. They're kind of the races that you really get to test your worth, I suppose, or see see, see where you're at. And I find that really fun. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, uh, yeah, I suppose here on Australian soil, my favourite race would have had to have been probably Buffalo Stampede. I've done that. I think I've raced that maybe four times now. It's a great event here in Bright. So, yeah. Yep, yep. And um, there's no doubt that you love trail running, but you also love wildlife. You're often out running with your dog, Walt, but you also have another pet who <laughs> I think you, you actually introduced me to to this particular pet and I was quite surprised. So can you yeah. tell our listeners what this, this particular pet is and what sort of began your fascination? <laughs> this comes up often in, com- in like podcasts and stuff. It's quite funny. <laughs> yep, so, yeah, I have a dog named Walter. He's a big, lovely Waimarana who runs with me all the time. And I have a snake. Um, his name is Otis, and he's an olive python. They're, yeah, you can only have Australian species in, in Australia. So they're from like Northern Territory, Western Australia um, kind of area. Yeah, he's he's actually 16 years old this year. And, yeah, reptiles for me have just always been just my lifelong fascination, really. Used to go down to the river when I was a kid and try to catch skinks and, you know, I always wanted to take them home and 
I've just, <laughs> that's just always been, I, I don't really know exactly what it is, to be honest. It's just always been one of those things where, I don't know, I, I think a lot of people, you know, how they have their, their, their particular interests and it's kind of hard, hard to articulate exactly what it is that sparks that. Maybe it's like yourself mm. with nutrition. It's like, I don't know mm. why, but I just really enjoy it. And I've mm. just always been like that with reptiles and animals. Um, mm. So, yeah, I just thought, yeah. why not? Why not? <laughs> why not? might be a next pet for you, Al, for the kids. <laughs> yeah, I think we'll leave that one alone. <laughs> um, so last week we, uh, we spoke to Dr. Alice McNamara about the question, should I get regular bloods and what should I test for? So we wanted to get, I guess, an insight into how an athlete has used blood testing for their sporting career. So, you know, in... Some elite and professional sports settings, athletes might do annual um, or sometimes even more frequent blood testing as kind of like a screening or prevention tool. Over your sporting career, have you had many blood tests? Yeah, yeah, I've had I've had quite a few. I think I had my first one when I was about 16 or 17 maybe as a cyclist and then that sort of made me aware of the importance of stuff like that um i suppose it's something as a junior athlete you don't really you know you just hammer and tong you just want to train you want to get better you want to you know do whatever you can and it's not really something that you think about but it was really good to yeah have that done early and then it sort of has definitely helped me be more aware of the importance of of, of having that done p- periodically so that you can actually perform um so you're not just beating your head against the wall and wondering why something's not working and when there's an underlying issue mm, yeah and did you find that like when you were in the cycling team were frequent blood tests encouraged or was that something that you kind of needed to initiate yourself no look no, not really it was something that I probably I just took upon my, my myself really yeah I wasn't kind of at a level where there was you know, it wasn't like properly professional where there was like sports doctors and stuff like that hanging off you and trying to, you know, do all this different stuff. It mm. was more so we were still pretty self-sufficient. So, yeah, I kind of, I honestly have probably not been vigilant enough um, even, you know, th- throughout the years in getting them um, at frequent enough intervals. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, that would that was something that we, we were just pretty much responsible for ourselves. Mm. Yep. And so what prompted you to get your bloods checked? Was it for like, um, you know, health or performance reasons or, um, you know, it sounds like you were the actual person that went to get them done. It wasn't someone else prompting you to get it done. So did you want to get those checked because you were noticing something in health or performance? Initially, like when I was younger, it was definitely just because, my my cycling coach at the time um, when I was a junior um, she just sort of recommended it her son was a high level athlete and um, he was a professional cyclist and I suppose that was something that you know they were doing but I honestly didn't really think much of it when I was young you know it's just one of those things that's like oh yeah I'll go and do it and then I'll just probably forget about it and go and train like a maniac (laughs) but then yeah as I progressed it was it became more and more apparent as to you know, why I should be getting them. Um, and uh, I was sort of going and seeking the tests out just, you know, to sort of see where, where things were at. If there was something that I needed to 
to work on, say iron, which is something that I've had consistent trouble with. And they can really just bring a lot of stuff, you know, there are a lot of factors, you know, as you guys know better than anyone, that affect your performance when it comes to being an athlete and your blood can tell you pretty much everything that you need to know about different different detrimental impacts of, you know, diet, training, sleep, all that kind of stuff. Um, so, yeah, I pretty much just consistently have, have gotten them probably at least annually since just to make just to see where things are at. And it's, it's honestly made a huge difference for me in understanding understanding different aspects of being an athlete and it's not just it's not just busting your ass and training as hard as you can <laughs> there's a lot more that goes into it yeah yeah and, and besides the iron has there been other things that you've sort of had come up on bloods along the way where you've sort of gone that's given me sort of some real either valuable insight or feedback about how things are going in terms of like training and nutrition or maybe like some sort of actionable oh yeah now i'm going to do this because of of that um yeah iron's been probably the main one for me um in all honesty there's it did yeah so that's that's kind of what i've what i've focused on mainly is trying to maintain that and that's where i've worked with steph in the past in mm. you know being aware of different diet choices and how much you need to be consuming and to be able to stay on top of that it did actually really interestingly. I actually I went overseas in 2016 and I got a bit sick, and then I thought it was like a bit of a cold, and so I was you know I came back and felt like I was getting a bit better. Did a race, then went downhill again, and just didn't feel myself for it was about three or four months. I felt pretty crap, mm. and I ended up getting a blood test a while after that, and it turned out that I had actually gotten uh, hep from food in China. Wow. So that was why I felt like, you know, absolute crap for, for a while. So, yeah, I mean, it can definitely gives you some valuable insight into things. And, I mean, if I had have known that earlier, I would have had a much more reasonable course of action following that. Mm. Um, I would yep. have known, okay, this is why I'm feeling like this. And so I can take appropriate measures to sort of mitigate against, you know, training with something like that in your system and then just running yourself into the ground. Um, yeah. Yeah. All the athletes I know, there's not that many that are good at really listening to their body. <laughs> a lot of them just want to train hard and get better and at yeah. almost any cost. Um, so it's, yeah, it's, it's really valuable. Yeah, yeah, cool. And when you've gotten bloods done in the past, have you had either advice from doctors or just information you've, you've found yourself in terms of how to best prepare for that blood test? And what I mean by that is like, what time of the day do you turn up for the test? What do you eat and drink beforehand? How you, you know, do you change your training in the lead up to a blood test and that kind of stuff? Um, I suppose the definitely the most specific ones and what I would, I'm not really in a position to make any recommendations, but for, for me in the um, in the past, like the best experiences I've had with getting them, and especially getting advice in the lead in and kind of how to approach it would be when I booked in with a proper sports doctor um they're definitely a lot more knowledgeable on you know the kind of stresses that your body are under and how to you know what kind of tests are probably going to be relevant to you and how to maybe adjust those blood panels to find things that maybe a regular panel wouldn't Mm. so yeah when i've i've kind of I, i don't see a sports gp every time to be honest i can kind of just go to the main thing that i keep tabs on is my iron um so i can kind of go to a gp get a referral for um, yep. 
a blood panel looking at iron studies and that doesn't really require anything special. You can just walk in, have your blood taken. And I mean, I understand dehydration and being overly hydrated can change your iron results to some degree, but yeah. I just try and go in on, you know, like a, a regular day where I'm, I'm hydrated. I'm not, I haven't just come in from like a five hour run in the mountains or anything. <laughs> and I'll just, you know, sort of go in, you know, probably just in the morning, um, non-fasted for those kind of tests. But I have done tests yeah. in the past too, where they require you to come in fasted and things like that. Uh, yeah. 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 So I guess just avoiding like a massive training day the day before by the sound of it, and then just being sensible from a hydration perspective. Yeah, that's, I mean, that, that that's pretty much all. I, I assume there's going to be, you know, depending on what they're testing for and depending on who the, um, who the specialist is, they're going to ask you to approach in different ways. Um, but I just yeah. try and be, try and be sensible. Yeah. Cool. All right. And obviously blood analysis, you know, you go there, you get the blood taken, it goes off to a lab and they send some results back. You know, we talked a bit about this with Alice last week, but you know, when you get bloods done, you know, the results, some results more so than others need sort of careful interpretation and, you know, clinical decision-making and reasoning around that. And some obviously medical training to sort of, in, to do all of that. Do you tend to do this just with your local GP or have you sort of gone out specifically to a sports doctor because of that expertise in trying to interpret those results? I've kind of done a, a bit of both. <laughs> when I was having consistent troubles with, I was probably at a point where I didn't, I don't think I understood enough about nu nutrition. Um, and that mm. was where Steph actually really helped me out with diet planning to sort of accompany my training. And in, in that period, I really wanted to get the specific ins and outs of of everything. Um, so I was working with a sports GP and, you know, seeing Steph for diet and things like that to, to make sure that I was covering off everything. Um, and that mm. sort of helped me iron out a few creases in the way that I was approaching my my training and diet and, um, and everything like that because I was basically – you know, I wasn't, I wasn't recovering well. I wasn't, I just basically wasn't performing really well. And it was a lot of it was probably because I just didn't put enough focus on actually um, getting in the food, getting in the right type of food and enough food. Cause I'm not yeah. really someone that cares about food that much. Doesn't, <laughs> doesn't really excite me. Um, yeah. I just, yeah, I like training. Like honestly, if I didn't have to eat, I, um, I wouldn't, it doesn't really bother me. Mm. <laughs> yeah. I, I just love training. <laughs> yeah. There's that saying that, you know, there's those people that eat to live like yeah. you and there's people that live to eat. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm yeah. definitely the former. Um, yeah. But then, yeah, since that, I'm kind of figuring out um, those things. It's, it's not a cheap exercise going to a sports GP can continually. Mm. And I've found that I've been able to source, I've got, you know, being in sports, um, like endurance kind of sports for quite a long time now, I've made a lot of friends that are in the field and a lot of people, that, you know, they aren't, they, they've got a lot of relationships with all sorts of people. And I've been able to, as a result of that, I've sort of been able to find GPs, which have a specific sports interest, which is mm. definitely has sufficed, but I would certainly recommend for anyone who's wanting to do it like start to get their bloods tested and, um, you know, be able to get meaningful, I suppose, meaningful changes in their, in their diet or their training if it's needed to maybe initially see a proper sports GP who mm. can really understand what you're doing. And then if you can, following on from that, I would, I would pretty much only ever see someone who actually understands the demands of an athlete because I don't know how many times I've heard people tell me they've gone to see a, a GP and you know, this is nothing against regular GPs. Like they're not trained mm. in sports. Um, 
and they've and they've had an iron test or something and it's been you know one one above the bottom of the range and they're like no it's fine you're within the range you know but this is <laughs> which you know it may be true but there's someone that you know trains say 18 hours a week so it's really important to find someone who actually actually understands the demands of you know people that are are putting a lot of time and effort into stressing their body out purposefully yeah yeah <laughs> yeah um have you ever had any bloods that have looked at i guess some of those concerns more about you know whether you call it overtraining or under fueling or that sort of combination is that sort of and it's not always nutritional bloods necessarily things like iron or vitamin d but it can be things like you know thyroid function or testosterone and all these other things where yeah. you know something on a blood test come back and they go oh i think this might be related to the fact that you're doing this heap of training or you're not fueling enough for the training specifically yeah yeah absolutely yeah i've had a um like i said i've had a bunch of different stuff done different periods and yeah i've had you know i've had thyroid tests things like that which was um all normal i have definitely had a period where this you know perfectly correlates with not like i said not really paying enough attention to my nutrition and not really putting mm. enough emphasis on it or i had issues with yeah essentially like relative energy deficiency for for yeah. my training um like i was just training you know a ton training really hard and just not putting in enough to actually recover from it and that was having effects with yeah iron and testosterone and things like that mm -hmm. um yeah. and yeah that was where seeing someone's that was actually throughout the time when i was um steph was helping me out a lot um with you know working working on some more of the intricacies and yeah we sort of figured out that i maybe this wasn't you know putting enough in and yeah hence my mm. body was kind of just going nah i'm not happy with this yeah um yep. so that's yeah i was really able to as a result of that you know i was able, I, I, able to combat it can you hear walter there's Walt. I'm, i was just gonna yeah. say there's i'm Walt sorry hello no that's yeah right. yeah no Walt there was probably someone like 300 <laughs> meters away um <laughs> but yeah as a result of that like i was able to really change things and it you know it's it's it can be a bit of a wake-up call because you can kind of just get tunnel vision on your training you know and they're sort of you know iron testosterone things like that they're things that i've heard just you know countless times amongst different training groups that i've been you know a part of people having issues with all sorts of things like testosterone especially in cyclists seems to be a huge one yep. um and iron in runners is just rife um especially mm. with females obviously and but yeah it, it, even in males as well and i think a lot of people just go oh i'm training hard you know i'm tired it's that's normal i'm training hard but problem is i think these changes happen over you know a long period of time so you can have you know iron at good levels and then over a 12 month period of training which you know goes in the blink of an eye it slowly decreases and decreases and decreases and then you're like you just feel like it's normal yeah yeah because it doesn't just you know you don't just go from an iron of like 200 to 10 overnight um mm. and it happens gradually which is why it can be really hard to pick up on sometimes um yeah 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 and that's a good point and i think mm. particularly like we talk about that relative energy deficiency in sport and obviously it came from what was originally a female athlete triad so a lot of the focus has been on female athletes in that regard and um you know obviously if menstrual cycles are ceasing or becoming further apart that can be a telltale sign without having to go to the extent of a blood test although you'd probably mm. follow up with a blood test anyway but in male athletes it's far more difficult to spot because there's no physical symptom but i guess that's where that blood test for things like testosterone can be 
really useful um, beyond just the fatigue, which you know could be anything. It's very general. So, yeah, that does help narrow things down a little bit. So, yeah, it's interesting. Um, and then I guess like maybe using the iron as the example because that's one that you sort of had a tangible test where you can kind of take a specific action around that, whether it's you know dietary supplements, uh, infusion, you know whatever it is. Has that been generally something that when you've sort of taken an action like that, you've you've gone, okay, let's do a follow-up blood test in a certain period of time to see what effect that's having? Or do you just like, well, let's just screen it again next year? Yeah, it's interesting. And that's that's kind of another thing that's changed over time, I suppose, in that I've been able to, like early, early days when I've kind of had some more, I suppose, direct interventions, like when my iron was just, it was just really low. And yeah, I'd had an infusion, like the first one that I ever had for a long time ago um, to, to sort of boost it up, um, which, you know, you definitely felt a tangible difference in that, getting it back into the normal range. Mm. And then I sort of had another test, maybe, I honestly can't remember exactly the time frame now, um, might have been six months or something like that afterwards, Yeah, just to see where it was at. And it was a, you know, it was a whole lot better. It was still maintaining you know, within the normal range versus versus well outside of it. Mm-hmm. But now I can kind of, I've had enough experience with it to be able to tell when, if, you know, if things are going a little bit pear-shaped with it. So I'm a lot more, definitely a lot more diligent now in terms of my diet and um, fueling and just making sure that I'm eating even if I don't really want to because I know I need to. Yeah, I can kind of, you know, I don't have a, <laughs> I don't have a, <laughs> Not necessarily a perfect tracker on it, but I can I can kind of tell now where I'm at and if things aren't where they should be. Whereas previously it was kind of, you know, yes, yes, you, you sort of brush things aside. Um, whereas now I can, I'd probably get a blood test maybe every twelve months now just to see where things are at, even if I actually feel quite good. Yeah, it's like I said, yeah. feeling quite good, you know, is kind of relative. <laughs> you can feel quite good for when your irons pretty low or you can feel quite good when it's in a really good range and they're vastly different but when they're 12 months apart it's hard to tell the difference Um, yeah yeah exactly right it just creeps up on you um and thinking about i mean obviously you talked about you know getting those sort of regular tests done now because particularly for iron you know you know you've got that history of low iron and there's probably a, a risk factor there from the other athletes that you know and, and hang around with, do you get a sense that most people are doing regular testing or do you think that's still the exception rather than the norm? Um, I would say it's, it probably depends on the group a lot. I think it's one of those things. Like I'd say it's 50-50, to be honest. Mm. Yeah. Like, and it depends on the kind of sport that you're in. I think, say, if you went and looked at a sport like triathlon, like Ironman, not bagging out on the triathletes or anything, but there it's the kind of sport where people are really, really intricately linked to sort of data figures, numbers, you know, yeah. you know, wattage on the bike or running pace, heart rate, swim times, you know, all that sort of stuff. And I think having that kind of mentality towards your sport really ties in with doing the little things like, oh, where's, you know, where are these numbers at? I need to go and get this tested and make sure this is all good. So whereas in running, I've seen still, uh, you know, a, a fair bit of it more, again, more so with female athletes, but I have known quite a few athletes probably in the last five, 10 years that are male that have gone and got tests done when they've been feeling kind of crappy for no obvious reason, um, which mm. I think it's a really good step in the right direction. I mean, it's, it's, the, it's, a, it's a great course of action and 
people like um you know a few of the professional runners overseas now like trail runners actually they're doing they've got like an inside tracker they call it have you guys seen that Mm. yeah it's like i don't know how intricate but i think that's even if it's not i don't know the ins and outs of that but seems to me like it's kind of pushing things in the right direction to actually keep tabs on how things are how how things are um going internally yeah um if you are putting your body under a lot of stress um trail running probably you know the more relaxed it's pretty it's getting a bit more serious now but it's generally a pretty like pretty blase kind of sport so i'd say there's a a heck of a lot less blood testing and things like that within that sport yeah versus something like cycling or triathlon where they're getting to those higher levels and people are really like you know fighting tooth and nail to get any advantage they possibly can Mm, yeah very different culture isn't it yeah it is yeah that's it yeah i think i think a lot of it does come back to the culture um Mm, yep all right well let's get into our bonus round now to finish off where we find out a little bit more about you besides uh putting needles into your arm and (laughs) taking blood out um so do you want to just, we were talking about this off air before, but do you want to just describe to us a little bit about your job? And I believe is it your official sort of qualification is as a zoologist, is that right? Um, yeah, so I studied um, zoology and animal science at uni. Um, I just did a bachelor degree in that. I'd hoped to do an honours as well, but that was right at the time that COVID came and just knocked everything to pieces and mm. put a bit of a halt to that. And then I just ended up, ended up working. Um, so... Yeah, I, I work as um, a what's labelled as a conservation officer here in northeast Victoria for a, um, a not-for-profit organisation called Trust for Nature. So the trust basically, we do the main, I suppose the core of the the core of the organisation is doing conservation work on private land and um, protecting private land that has good ecological value in perpetuity. Basically, protect protect good blocks of land forever. Um, <laughs> yeah. And I work on a project called um, Bush for Birds, which is a federally funded project, which is aimed at basically maintaining or restoring um, habitat for some critically endangered bird species here in the northeast. Yeah. Yeah. That's a pretty yeah. cool job. Yeah. What, what's the best thing about it? Um, the variety, I think. Well, I get to spend yeah. quite a bit of time outside, but it's all it's always quite different. Yeah, we do get to do field work, which I enjoy. So, you know, you do some, like you get to meet a lot of cool people that have a lot of a lot of similar interests. So people that yeah. either love plants or love birds or reptiles or um, all, all sorts of different stuff. You, 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 you meet all kinds. And, yeah, that's probably the best thing is, is the variety and just the fact you get to work with something that you're actually interested in all the yeah. time. I suppose it's like you guys working with nutrition yeah. and blood, talking about this kind of stuff. It's whatever <laughs> floats your boat. That's a good, that's yeah. a good field to be in. That's it. That's it. Steph and her bowel motions. That's yeah. I know. She's subject. just obsessed with colons and stuff, isn't she? <laughs> yeah. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Coming back to uh, to the sporting side of things for a little bit. What's on the sort of the racing calendar you for you for the rest of twenty twenty two and well, I don't know as far as you've looked into twenty twenty three so far. Um. So twenty twenty two. I'm going to do um the there's a new race actually called the Kosciuszko. Um, Ultra Trail Kosciuszko, I think, is the mm-hmm. is the proper title. So it's a new race in Kosciuszko National Park um, this year. It's the first year. It's a race that's sanctioned by um, UTMB. So I'm doing yep. the 100K there in December. Um, that's eight, currently eight weeks away, which is good. And then next year is not really set in 
um, in stone yet. I'm just going to, I kind of like, I don't really race a, a huge amount. I prefer to just prepare for something over, a, you know, quite a long period and then, you know, do that particular event and then sort of do the same for, for, for the next event. Mm -hmm. But the aim, I suppose, <laughs> putting it out there in public, the aim there is to pretty much, um, if you get a podium at that race, you can get uh, a qualification to run at the UTMB festival in yep. August next year. So, yep. yeah, I'm running the 100K, which would qualify me if I got a position to run the equivalent race at UTMB, but I would hope to transfer to the 100-mile race. So that would be my yep. first ever 100-mile. It's a long no, bloody way. Yeah. It's actually 170 yes. Ks that race with like yeah. 10,000 meters of climbing. So I was gonna say, it's extremely scary. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so otherwise you go into the, the CCC, do you? Uh, yeah. Whatever. I, I get, I honestly get confused because there's so many different, yeah. uh, there's so many different little lettered race titles yes. that I don't even know which distance <laughs> co correlates with what, but, um, yeah, yeah you go into the hundred K distance, um, if yeah. they don't give you a transfer. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, that might be actually the answer to the next question as well, which was one place you'd love to run, but you've never had the chance. Oh, well, funnily enough, I've run in France quite a bit. Mm. I've done a few races there. Um, I've probably raced, uh, maybe raced three times in France. Yeah. Somewhere that oh, I would like to run that I haven't yet. It's a good question. Um, I've always been, as far as just an actual destination goes, it's not really that good necessarily for trail running races and stuff adelaide. but i have adelaide <laughs> oh yeah that's it i've always wanted to go and run in on mount lofty um, yeah. <laughs> now i've always actually wanted to go to alaska and run around there um yeah, right. finally i know that's a very weird one because it's absolutely not the mecca for any type of trail running or anything but i think it's just an unreal place mm. obviously more so from a nature perspective than anything i think it'd be uh I reckon it'd be a ripper place to go for a long run. Yep, yep, fair enough. And, uh, yeah, no, I think I'd, I'd prefer Alaska over Adelaide as well, Steph, sorry. <laughs> both start with A, so you should go to them yeah. both. Well, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, Favourite food or drink after a run? Oh, that's a hard one. It depends. It'd probably depend on the, the type of run and the season that it's in. If it's summer, I would like nothing more than you guys won't like this um no, summer i'd love nothing more than a can of icy cold coke and or oh, probably a thick shake there's how to get diabetes in 10 minutes flat <laughs> well not after that amount of running <laughs> yeah. you'll be fine <laughs> yeah that's probably uh, i would say after a hard race or um, you know, a long run or something like that. It's probably honestly just, yeah, a, a milkshake or a thick shake and like, or a can of Coke or something like that's always, always, always the go-to for me. Yeah. Yeah. Fair enough. All right. And final question, your favorite sporting moment from 2022 so far? <sighs> Got to be the Cats winning the grand final. <laughs> <laughs> long time coming. I'm a Geelong, I'm, yeah. I'm a Geelong, yeah. uh, Geelong boy, born and yeah. bred. So yeah, it was Oh, they've been so close for so many bloody years, and they finally got finally got back up there. So I was pretty happy about that. 
<laughs> it's an eleven-year drought. That's not long, Blake. Yeah, when you're a Geelong fan, and they've they've what they missed the finals, I think once in that period. So you always, mm. it's kind of like you're just getting the carrot dangled mm. in front of you every year because you they give you like just yeah. gave us false hope every season, <laughs> and then um, yeah, I understand. It's not like if you support the Dockers or something, but yeah. um, yeah, that was that was nice. That was good. Yep. Yep. Fair enough. Well, I'm a Melbourne supporter, so we ended our 57-year premiership drought, which was a lot longer than 11. So <laughs> yeah. right. you've had three in the last 20 years, so and, you, and you've just that. recruited another. You've just recruited another enormous ruckman too, haven't you? So you'll yeah, be, you might be on for another yeah. flag next year. Who knows? Who knows? <laughs> That's right. So sorry about Adelaide, Steph. They suck. <laughs> yeah, I know they're not that, <laughs> not that good. <laughs> AFLW, AFLW, we're very good. Yeah, I saw that actually. Yeah. Mm. Mm. Uh, awesome. Thank you very much, Blake, for um, joining us and um, giving us giving an insight into yeah, you know how you, uh, I guess, approach blood testing and and blood work. And I, I think you know a main message that came out there is there's no harm in in getting it done. It's it's not all that that difficult to go and get, and it's not saying that you go and get it all the time where it's not needed but you know it might be annually or um, you know it's it just depends and like you know I think a message there was when you were feeling quite um, terrible when you got back from overseas and then kind of let it go for a bit and then like you said you got your bloods done and it was quite a surprise to you whereas you know if you'd gotten that checked perhaps a bit sooner it might have helped you, your training and your performance a bit better so yeah, thank you for for um, giving us some insight. No worries at all. Hopefully it yeah, answered your questions. Thanks for having me. Awesome. Thank you very much, Blake. Uh, I'm going to hand it over to Alan just to summarise key messages from, you know, both Alice and, and Blake. Yeah, so our topic today was should I get regular bloods and what should I test for? And obviously, as Blake mentioned, you know, he came – to be a fairly high level athlete at a fairly young age. And so because of that, as a teenager, I guess like most teenagers, it probably wasn't something that really crossed his mind all that much to get regular blood tests. It's not something that the average teenager would really consider or think about very much. It would usually come from a concerned parent or coach or someone like that. So that wasn't something that he did get done very much, um, but he did get one on recommendation from his cycling coach. Um, but didn't really think much of it at the at the time. But then, obviously, as he got older and wiser, he sort of it became more apparent to him that the value that blood tests might have to monitoring, I guess, aspects of health and performance with that. And I guess it's not necessarily performance in the sense of well, if I can change this parameter, I'm going to perform better. It's probably more so around well, if it's flagging a health issue that might be also limiting performance. So you're kind of hitting it from both angles or. You know, the motivation might be different depending on your, your point of view, I suppose. And so, you know, Blake appreciates there are a lot of factors that do affect performance. Blood work can you know, help you tell maybe something about some of those in terms of diet with, you know, nutrient deficiencies, but then also some of those markers that change because of dietary factors. So we talked about, you know, low energy availability, for example, and looking at things like testosterone and, uh, and those kinds of markers can be useful as well. And I guess because he's struggled with low iron in the past, he sort of gets those bloods done annually now as a bit of a checkup because he knows he's sort of at risk of 
developing low iron, whereas some athletes, as Alice said last week, like if they've got absolutely no problem, they feel great, they're performing really well, there's not necessarily a need to get regular bloods done every year in that scenario. But if you've got a history of low iron or you're at high risk because you follow, you know, a vegan diet or something like that, then, you know, being nutritionally adequate, it's not impossible, obviously, but it's more challenging, then those sort of scenarios might lend themselves to that kind of regular blood work to look at things like, in the case of vegan athletes, maybe vitamin B12. And some of the other ones might be, again, if you're high risk, if you've got a background history of iron deficiency and you have to take supplements regularly, then that's worth getting checked regularly. Uh, if you live in a part of the world where you don't get outside very much in winter because it's below freezing, for example, and I know there's a lot of athletes, you know, cyclists, for example, in, in North America and, you know, the northern part of the US and Canada who spend basically their entire winter training on a on a trainer indoors. And so, you know, things like vitamin D deficiency might be relevant to them as opposed to some of the triathletes I work with who train all the, all the Australian summer and then travel to Europe all the European summer. Like they're pretty much in summer most of the year round. So vitamin D deficiency for them is going to be incredibly unlikely. And so not surprisingly, if they ever get their vitamin D tested, it's always really good. There's, there's never a problem there. So it's, there's not much point really. Um, I guess, as Blake said, he tends to find some athletes are always or not always that good at listening to their body. And so sometimes blood work can give them that kind of valuable feedback or information. Um, and sometimes it's kind of that extra message that reinforces, hey, maybe there isn't something right here, despite, you know, you kind of just plowing ahead and either just going, I'm just going to work through it or, or just not being aware that there's a problem potentially as well. And obviously for him, that's that's been particularly around iron. And he mentioned that he's someone that probably eats to live more than living to eat. And so for him, both from an iron perspective, but from a total um, energy calorie point of view and energy availability, which we also mentioned uh, that he's probably come unstuck with at, at times throughout his career, that's something that, that he has to be conscious of. And so again, those blood tests might be a bit of a regular reminder, I guess, in, in that sense as well. Uh, we did talk about finding uh, or, you know, whether you go to your, your local doctor, your GP to get blood tests in terms of the order for the test, but also the interpretation of those results, or you go to a specialist sports doctor. Obviously, that will vary. And a lot of that depends on the, the knowledge and interest of the GP themselves. So some GPs actually have a background in exercise themselves or a pretty good understanding and they'll be fine. Others may not have a particular interest or, or work with that population group very much at all, in which case maybe you find another GP within the same practice or your local area that does have that interest, or you get involved with a sports doctor that may have that more specific ability to interpret those results. And I think that comes back to you know what Alice was talking about last week is that you know you can go and get a test done, but you really need that advice in terms of the interpretation of results and having that individualized to your specific scenario because you know, just because it's in the reference range doesn't necessarily mean it's okay. And just because it's outside the reference range doesn't mean it's a disaster either. And so having that nuance and interpretation by someone who's adequately trained and qualified in that can be really helpful. And then finally, I guess, as Alice said last week, you know, in a lot of countries, including here in Australia, we have the, you know, the subsidization of blood tests by um, the government. So essentially the taxpayers are paying for that blood test. And so while it's relatively cheap as an athlete to go and get the test because you don't pay for it, at the end of the day, you are paying for it through your tax dollars and everyone else collectively is contributing to that. And so that's something that we need to 
be conscious of, I guess, that we're not just going out and doing tests for the sake of it, um, because there is a cost to society more broadly. Uh, and obviously that's where, again, people might get frustrated that they have to go and see a medical practitioner to be able to get a test, but there's a reason for that. And part of that reason is around that cost side of things. A bit different if it's an open private market, it's kind of, well, it's your blood. If you want to get it tested, you can, but you just need to be careful then how you interpret those results as well if you don't have that support and guidance with you. Mm, yep, well said. We're going on from blood to teeth now, Al. So our next episode is 49A, and the question is, are sports drinks and gels bad for my teeth? And we're joined by dentist and very keen ultra trail runner, Julie Savage, who also used to be a, a high-level cricketer. You know, it is something that I'm sure there's there's a lot of us that do wonder about, are all these sports nutrition products that we may be consuming good for us? And some of us may just forget about it and not really consider our teeth too much. So we're going to bring insight into that particular question. But Otherwise, just a reminder that if you do have a question you'd like answered on the podcast, you can contact us at The Long Munch on Instagram, Facebook or Twitter. And remember that there's 48 now previous questions that we've actually already answered. So if you're new to the podcast, welcome. But you may like to actually check out the back catalogue to see if there's something there that will be helpful to you. Most podcast apps only show you the last few episodes, but if you click back, you'll find the rest of them there going back to November 2020. And it's funny you say that, Steph, because we had someone contact us on Instagram just this morning, actually, saying that they'd gone all the way back to episode 1A, listening oh, wow. about you know whether low carb is right for me and really yeah. enjoyed the explanation that Louise Burke gave of under which situations might it be helpful, which situations it would be potentially detrimental and, and how to kind of navigate that. So, yeah, people awesome. are listening to the back catalogue, which is great, and there's a whole bunch of really useful stuff there. Yeah, awesome. Yeah. And so if you do want to be notified every time a new episode is available, you can hit subscribe on the podcast app that you're listening to this on. And also if your friends are asking about a particular nutrition issue for their training or racing and you're getting annoyed at them for always asking you or you don't, you know, really have the the educated answer there, then you might like to tell them about the podcast and then they may find the questions that we answer useful. Otherwise, we will love and leave you and, and see you next week. Yep, we'll do.